0: Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now,
1: here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to Episode 91 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Curt Mortensen again after Memorial Day holiday. If you're in the United States, if not, then you might not care. But we had a big holiday yesterday, which is you know a lot of barbecue, and we can't <laughs> not talk about that on this show.
0: Well, there's your just plug for food. Yeah, Happy Memorial Day or past Memorial Day, everyone, and, and Canadian friends. I think it was over a week ago, week and a half ago, I think. And to our European friends. I don't know. I doubt you have a Memorial Day. <laughs> so Maybe to our <laughs> Middle Eastern friends or our South American friends. Hey, holiday's a holiday, so did you get your ribs in, or what were you cooking?
1: Well, my brother-in-law was in town, and he is a rep for a barbecue company, so he went nuts on Memorial Day. He made ribeyes. that, uh, Yeah, he oh, they were really good. He'd tie them up with butcher string, make them really compact. You smoke them for two hours, and then you sear them when you're done on each side, and made this really good, like, herb butter to go with them, which, you know, butter with anything is awesome, right?
0: Well, how great is that? You had great barbecue, and you did nothing.
1: I know, I know. It was fantastic.
0: <laughs> you didn't have to spend your three, two, one, seventy-two 72-hour prep time to cook your ribs. Hey, the
1: three, two, one is amazing, but <laughs> we did the ribeyes, and then we did uh, some skewers with shrimp, and so he had brats. I mean, it was like a tailgate party in May. It was crazy. I've got to put on 10.
0: I, I am just... We should talk about exercising and self-persuasion here in a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, we, we have an, an article today in, in a minute that is going to help me because oh, okay. I'm going to eat it. And you're you're laughing because you know what it is. <laughs>
0: yeah. I just put two and two together. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody else you'll catch on in, in
1: just a minute. But how, how was your Memorial Day?
0: Uneventful. Did some yard work. Started to get the boat ready. But it was disappointing. It was cloudy, it was overcast, not very good weather, but hey, it was good to have to spend some time with the family and hang out and you know, eat some great food.
1: That's that's exactly right. Exactly right. Why don't we cue up the Urkel? All
0: right, Urkel.
1: Here we go, Urkel <laughs> Who epitomizes geekiness, which is the geeky article moment. This you know, over many, many episodes, this whole weird thing has taken shape so now kurt is gonna recite an article to us from the journal of greenland janitorial psychology
0: well actually this is not in a journal this was on a psychology blog that i'm sure everyone reads yes (laughs) and it's by janice Harmon, and she's got a lot of letters after her name and i don't even know what some of them are so i'm not even gonna read those But she talks about five easy ways to improve your self-esteem.
1: Ah, that's what I wanted. (laughs)
0: That's right. Now, the challenge is, this is like listing skills. People say, well, I don't have a challenge with that. I have good health esteem, which is a great denial thing. But we all, repeat, we all suffer from low self-esteem in some aspect of our life. And I've defined it as how much you like yourself. She defined it as a feeling of having respect for yourself and your abilities. So, it was interesting. It's something we can all work on. Again, we all suffer. It could be in a swimsuit. It could be public speaking. It could be any skill that you think you should have, but you don't. It's something we all have to work on. It's human nature because self-esteem is an all-time low. We can blame the media. We can blame the school system. We can blame the sitcoms, advertising, whatever it is. That's probably all of the above. So, we all need to work on it. Let's talk about the five ways. First one, she talks about, hey, you've got to understand your weaknesses, if you can't identify what you struggle with, you can't make yourself stronger. And only thing I want to add to that one is one of the reasons we do suffer from low self-esteem is that we always compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths. And when you do that, you will never win. And we're also talking about this too to help other people because in persuasion and influence, if you can boost someone's self-esteem, if you can help them feel better about themselves, I'm telling you right now, the doors of influence will swing wide open for you. So that was the first one. Second one, like it, understand your strengths. Think about what you're good at and what you like about yourself. Sometimes it's good to have a victory list, things that you're good at, things that you've won in the past, victories that you've had. Is always a great way to give you a great boost to your self-esteem. Then she talks about don't try and please everyone. You will never, never be liked by everyone, so don't waste your energy.
1: <laughs> that, that's a good one. Eh? I take it too far the other way sometimes, though.
0: It is a challenge. Even as presenters and public speakers, which we do for a living, you put your heart and soul out there. You might be speaking for 90 minutes. You might be speaking for a day. And it's interesting that no matter what you do, there should be one person that says something negative. And it's rough because 20 people say something positive and one person says, uh, eh, it was okay. And you focus on that negative person where you could give a perfect home run presentation and there will always be someone in the audience that's going to try to find something. It's yeah. just human nature yeah. and you got to get past it and move on. All right, so that was number three. Number four, surround yourself with people who value you, right? Who love you, who like you for your warts and everything. They know your weaknesses. They don't care. They still love you. It's good to be surrounded by those people. And number five, replace negative self-talk with positive, more realistic self-talk. Instead of calling yourself a moron, and that's quoting her, <laughs> who can't dress herself, laugh, and learn from the mistakes, Hey, we're human, we make mistakes, that's part of the fun, that's how we do, that's how we improve. Hey, get over it, use these for yourself and other people, it makes a huge difference because we like to say, well, it's not a big deal. Hey, when you want to talk about influencing up or influencing the side or talking to CEOs or anybody, self-esteem, ego, pride, all those things come into play when you're attempting to influence anyone and especially when you attempt to influence yourself.
1: Right. Right. I like that one where you, you have to be honest with yourself about your strengths because I don't think that very many people have really thought about that. You've got that small narcissistic portion of the population that that's all they think about. <laughs> and then the rest, almost everybody else spends too much time dwelling on what they're bad at. You know, if, if I was an employer, I would be asking people, you know, what are you good at? Because I think how they answer that probably says, says a lot about them because it, it requires some self-esteem to be able to admit that you are good at something, yet it's not come across as uh, arrogant and, and condescending.
0: And that's critical. When we've talked about trust, one of the critical things is being the expert. And one thing I usually always have to say to people is, okay, you know more than 99% of the people out there in your field – act like it. Yeah, yeah. Act like it. You're the expert. That's a strength. That's a victory for you. You know what you're doing. Act like them. Let them feel it. Again, not in a condescending way, like you mentioned, but in a way to where, yeah, you can do this. I am good at what I do. And that kind of goes almost through like osmosis to your prospect.
1: Right, right. About that article too, the being able to admit what you're not good at, not being good at something is not the same as not being good. Right, it's it's true. It, you you not good at some. There's lots of things that I'm not good at, and uh, it doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person, right? You got to be, you know, not good at everything. I guess <laughs> to be one of those.
0: <laughs> well, part of that too is owning up to it. Number one and number two, realizing that anything you do or try the first time, you're not good at it. <laughs> yeah. If you judge your first game of golf or the first time you public speak or the first time you try to sell something. Hello. Nobody was good at that, but too many people give up. Oh, I'm not good. They run away and they never try again.
1: Right. Right. And it's that failure side of things. I I was actually out on the trampoline with my daughter a few minutes ago and she's really, she's really tenacious. She's trying to tackle this front flip. Right. (laughs) And I had my, she just goes out there. She was out there an hour falling on her butt, falling forward, knocking her head on the tramp and And finally, she she was able to stick it, and there was a lot of spectacular failure. And she didn't care what I thought. She wanted to do it, and that, oh, wow. Not only is it a key to getting better and being successful, but it's just a key to overall happiness in life, which is not caring what other people think about you. What How much time and emotional anguish do we spend on that, on worrying what other people think about us, yet it's so easy to do?
0: Yeah, what's the saying? You wouldn't care so much what other people think about you when you realize how little they do. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's a lot of ways to read into that, but hey, yeah, follow your heart, have some passion. That's what I love about kids. They are just persistent. they don't care. They're going to make it happen, and we can learn or relearn that skill as we get older.
1: And going back to what you said, right, making other people feel good about themselves and the saying that you wouldn't care how much other people think about you when you realize how little they do, And I would add to that because they're too busy thinking about themselves. (laughs) They're worried about themselves and their own insecurities. So when you can boost those, talk about persuasive leverage. It just gets you so far so fast.
0: Yeah, change the part of your hair or put on a new shirt or grow a little facial hair. Whatever it is, people aren't going to (laughs) notice.
1: Right, right.
0: You want them to, but they're too consumed with their own world, but... And, of course, as husbands, we get in trouble. Do you notice anything different? I did you know, uh, uh, haircut. Oh, uh, <laughs> That's a tough one. That's that setting me up for failure right there. That hurts my esteem. Every husband is quivers <laughs> with fear. You don't notice anything different about me? I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> All right. So I've got about 50% chance in the hair, maybe 20% new clothes. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I would
1: rather my wife come home and say, what the crap is your problem? Instead of ask me, have you noticed anything different?
0: Yeah, that's true. It'd be so much easier. Oh, so much easier.
1: I'm I'm so much less threatened by the first question. <laughs> so much less. Well,
0: uh, well, now that we've offended our wives, we can cross that off the list. <laughs> yeah, we've got food. We've offended somebody. We've They're not going. listening.
1: They stopped listening to us a long time ago.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if they ever listened.
1: <laughs> Great persuasion coaches we are.
0: But Here we go.
1: look, if, if we had that recipe, I mean, wouldn't we be on a private jet somewhere? It's just, yeah. Get your spouse to listen to you. That, that's amazing. Uh,
0: remember that book, Everything Men Know About Women? <laughs> and you open it up and it was blank. There was not one printed word in the whole book.
1: <laughs> Did that book actually sell?
0: It sold over, It's it made over a million dollars. Oh my gosh.
1: It's just a <laughs> Anybody gag Anybody can book.
0: write a book. Yeah, it was. It was just a gag, but it was funny. You open it up, trying to figure out what men know about women, and it's completely blank. Not (laughs) one word in the whole thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a good gag book. That's along the lines of The Pet Rock. You go, Did anybody really buy that? And and yeah, it's just welcome to uh, capitalism and entrepreneurialism. The more ridiculous the idea, the better the chance it has at being wildly successful.
0: That is. People spend the money.
1: We sure love our ridiculous crap. (laughs) <laughs> All
0: right.
1: Well, good. Let's move on to the main portion of the show today, going through the persuasion IQ tests. If you're holding out to take the test, you're about to get a perfect score because we're just knocking these questions down like crazy, giving away the answers, giving away why that is the answer. If you want to take the test, you can go to maximizeyourinfluence.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a link there to take the persuasion IQ test. And shameless plug time, you need to go to universitypersuasion.com. Universitypersuasion.com is where you can learn more about the podcast. We're going to have archived podcasts there pretty quickly here, as well as lots of other great stuff, including persuasion software and stuff that Kurt has been working on for ages. And there's tons of options there. So just go check it out. Universitypersuasion.com. You'll like it, assuming you want to be a, a better persuader. Which,
0: yeah, if you want to take things to the next level, make a little more money, earn what you're worth, hey, go there. It's great stuff.
1: I doubt there's anybody listening to the show right now going, I really don't want to be a better persuader, but I'm going to just <laughs> endure and listen to yeah, these I'm just, guys.
0: Just going to go through the motions. Yes, yes,
1: going through the motions. Okay, so we have the question all lined up. Kurt, is the Jeopardy music playing in your mind?
0: It is in my mind.
1: It is. In- <laughs> okay, good. All right. <laughs> The biggest challenge using desperation as a motivator is people get angry. You get short term results. It's unethical. It triggers the wrong emotion, frustration, or violence.
0: I'm choosing B. You get short term temporary results.
1: Short term temporary results, which uh, is that always bad?
0: No, it's not. It's better than no results at all. Yeah. Desperation can be an easy, quick fix. That's why it's the do it or you're fired type thing. That's short-term results. There's long-term consequences. Things could happen to your coffee. Mm -hmm. People use it because it's easy. Fear is fear. And so that's the biggest challenge is that it is work and it's easy to do. A lot of people don't have enough tools to understand different types of motivation, different types of influence. But when you really use us too much in the wrong situation, it will backfire on you. And there's long-term negative consequences that could really hurt you.
1: There probably was a time where you could make this kind of a cost-benefit analysis, where you could say, I got to persuade so-and-so to do such-and-such a thing, and I'm probably never going to see them or ever need anything from them again. And that sounds almost silly to us in this day and age, but there probably was a time where you could uh, get away with doing that in the age of social media and how quickly we can communicate with one another. Not a chance. I just don't see this happening unless you're some kind of a South American dictator and you just run your dictatorship on desperation.
0: Well, that's one of the other challenges about desperation. It works when the dictator is around or the parent is around or the boss is around, but when they're gone and that fear or that desperation or that obligation is gone, then it doesn't work. And again, the, the consequences, the sabotage, the things that could happen behind your back, the theft, I mentioned the coffee. They put cameras in employee break rooms and people have done despicable things to their boss's coffee that we won't talk about. But wow, what would cause a human to do that? Desperation, you back them into a corner and they'll come back out fighting. But again, they get it at work. So you can take a lazy teenager and they won't get off the couch, they won't leave the couch, Just go out in the garage and get a can of gasoline and light the couch on fire.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'll do it.
0: Desperation, motivation, challenges. Once the couch has been replaced, it was only temporary. You've been arrested. Nothing has really changed. It was only a temporary thing. But again, sometimes temporary is better than nothing at all. You just have to gauge the type of motivation you're going to use. Is it going to be inspiration or desperation?
1: Well, I think what we're saying here, the the question was the biggest challenge in using desperation as a motivator, just because it's a big challenge doesn't mean you would never do it. I think there are products out there where the only way you would ever get somebody to pick up a phone is through desperation. I saw an ad for a personal injury attorney the other day. They've got this ad where somebody's getting slammed into by a car. I mean, it's fear. It's dark, but it's, it's reality. I mean, sometimes desperation is reality, is it not?
0: It is reality, and for some people that's the only thing that moves them. I've said it before, is it it okay for a dentist to say only floss the teeth you want to keep? Right? That's fear, that's desperation, and I bet very few of our listeners have been to a dentist out of inspiration, but at least they went out of desperation. So there's a a time and place for it. Strategically, you can use it, but it can backfire on you in the long run.
1: There has to be a relationship there. You have to lace it with some inspiration, because I agree with you. you. You can't sell a colonoscopy because it feels good. <laughs> <All right. laughs>
0: There's our medical tip for the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: you're not going to say this is going to be great. I mean, that's pure fear why somebody is going in there. Yet, it's take control of your health, take control of your future, eliminate the mystery. That's what you have to leave things off on. But uh, probably desperation is a very short-term motivator to get somebody in the door. But,
0: yeah, go ahead. And the formula kind of looks like this. If you want to use desperation to influence or motivate somebody, go for it. Crank up the pain, but buffer it with that inspiration. Okay, yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's it's inconvenient. Yeah, you're going to scream really loud versus, you know what, you're going to live longer. You're going to be around for your grandkids. It's the right thing to do. But here's the thing. When someone's in inspiration, don't use desperation because it will backfire every time. They're already in inspiration. Stay there and that's where people start getting angry, frustrated, it triggers the wrong emotions because they don't want to go there. So that's kind of some general guidelines when you talk about motivating other people.
1: Well, we have inspiration mode, we have desperation mode. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the cues that would tip you off that the person I'm dealing with right now is generally quite inspired. They're moving towards something as opposed to moving away from something that's inspired, desperate, is I'm running away from a problem or I, I'm scared I've got to deal with a, some kind of a big issue. How do you tell the difference between the two of those?
0: That's exactly right. I mean, inspiration, they're moving towards something, probably a little vision, passion, they're excited. You could tell it in their demeanor and their word choice. Desperation, fear, anxiety, they're moving away from something. They could be scared, again, their demeanor, their word choice, how they say things. One's moving towards, one's moving away, and then you'll motivate them differently, but then in a way that can be very helpful for you as you influence them.
1: Awesome. So it's it's not unethical to use desperation. It's unethical to use it all the time, and I, I think so. And then even more important is the fact that it's just not going to get you anywhere, get some very temporary results. And my brother and I were talking about a football coach who – seems to drift from job to job. And he actually does really well. I'll do, it's a uh, Jim Harbaugh. He's at the university of Michigan and he seems to do really well. He comes on the scene, turns teams around and then they sputter after a couple of years. And, uh, there's a lot of speculation that he just comes in and instills a bunch of desperation and fear into everybody. And then after a while, they're just like, yeah, we, we don't want to do this anymore. Right. An atmosphere of complete desperation is never as good as you know one of one of inspiration now that's speculation i'm not saying that that's how this guy is it's just what some people are happening to say
0: but you can see that with bosses that you have and the turnover and the fear and the sabotage and the long-term consequences sure it's easy in the short run hire a new manager that's angry that yells at people that gets things done for the short term but then they're going to start losing their talent they won't be able to hire talent and it'll be a downward spiral
1: that's right i I've, I've worked for companies like that where it's You've got to do these basic things. You've got to do these responsibilities because we're going to go replace you if you don't do those things. Now, the reality of day-to-day business is that statement in any business is completely true, (laughs)
0: right?
1: (laughs) You have to do your responsibilities. You have to even excel at them or you are going to get replaced unless your boss is a total pushover. But the fact is, is that's not where you start off getting people motivated. And there's been... Just tons and tons of studies about employee compensation in the workplace and how it's not necessarily the people that get the most pay. In fact, we both know plenty of people who work 90 hours a week and make a bunch of money and are completely miserable, right? It's the people who feel some kind of a personal fulfillment. And like we were going back to, their self-esteem is helped by the work that they're doing. They get some worth out of it. And the money really isn't as big of a deal when that's happening on the psychological level.
0: And the factor is it works for the short term. If a manager came in and said, look, you can be replaced, that motivates them for the one, two, three months they need to find the other job. (laughs) So it looks like it works, but then you've lost them long term. So there was some short term value there, I guess, for the company or the boss. But then long term, you probably lost a very valuable employee, someone that's been there for a long time. And of course, it's going to cost Who knows how much to train another person to take that spot?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, we've all had those guys. I'll have those bosses. They are absolutely no fun. Anything else to add on the line of inspiration and desperation before we move
0: on? Just the main thing, make sure you peg whether in inspiration or desperation so you can customize, so you can adapt and motivate them the right way.
1: And and that's probably a question of industry, right? I, I think that... In many industries, you're probably predominantly dealing with one or the other. There there are exceptions, but uh, you know, like if you're in insurance or financial planning or car sales, I mean, it's you get a lot of the same thing coming and going based on what kind of marketing your company is doing. So
0: that's true. Unless you're Disneyland, is half are there for desperation because they feel guilty for not taking a vacation, and the other uh-huh. half for inspiration because they love being there. So, yeah, you find a little bit of both. <laughs> But some are predominantly, yeah, pure desperation.
1: Disneyland. I, can you explain to me? I know it's this way in the summers, and you're from there, so you, you get it. Why do people pay all that money to basically go stand in line for about six <laughs> hours? And you, I think if you added it up, you're on rides for maybe 20 minutes. I mean, why do they do that?
0: Because it's the big smile from Johnny Jr., it's the hug from Little Suzanne, and it's the hundred points you get for taking your family there. <laughs> the lines, even though that's what I think about too, is kind of a secondary thing. It's just the that family thing. <laughs> oh man, I I don't
1: get it. I, I didn't. You know what I learned about Disneyland? ma maybe I talked about this. You know that whole Fast Pass thing, where mm-hmm. it, it, and listeners, if you haven't been to Disneyland in a decade, <laughs> they have a a thing called a fast pass where you can go check in at this little kiosk by a ride and it kind of sort of reserves you a spot in line. It says come back in 45 minutes or whatever. And so it, it cuts down on your wait time substantially. And I learned it's actually a giant con because they have a VIP program. I think it's $5,000 a day and you get to just go to the front of every line. And they have a, a personal Disneyland concierge that – takes you around, you get whatever you want, whenever you want. You're only limited by your ability to walk, okay? And uh, I thought, can you imagine the uproar that, that would happen if they were just taking people to the front of the line? So fast? fast pass is kind of a, a cloak for that.
0: Oh, I, I I like that idea. In fact, I found out there's actually an app for those going to Disneyland this summer called RideMax, where you program all the rides you want. It tells you what time of day, and it mar- marks your whole day out for you. Has all the science behind it with the rides and the research, and it saves you like half the day. You get everything done in half the day. There you go. That's, your, that's what you need. So you just program it, you do it, you're done.
1: That's what I need because next time I'm there standing in line, I'm going to start chucking Mickey hats and corn dogs at everybody. I'm going to lose it.
0: <laughs> and the turkey drumsticks.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are kind of good,
0: though. Yeah, I do like those. <laughs> those are good. <laughs>
1: all right. Well, good, good. So uh, turkey legs aside, we've got a blunder. You want to queue up the homer?
0: All right, Homer, bring it to us. Don't, don't, don't.
1: Okay, managing client expectations and not being cheesy in your marketing. We've got a cheese ball, carpet cleaner. So I'm sitting at the stoplight, and there's a van in front of me that's a a carpet cleaning service. And I noticed it because we're actually thinking about getting our our carpets cleaned. We've got some, you know, we got kids. So that's got to (laughs) happen. That's all I need to say. That's all we need to say. So it, it's advertising $79 for, you know, I can't remember what it said. And I'm thinking that's going to be a weasel advertisement. I do this show. I think about that stuff. All right. $79 for one room. You have to do this redeem it on Christmas Eve or whatever. What's the catch? Right. So I got looking at this thing and it is so blatantly obvious. The guy used these number decals to put the price on the back window of the van. And he did such a crappy job with these decals that you could blatantly see that not too long ago it was $69 (laughs) instead of $79. So you look at a $79 is that And then you see the six underneath the seven, you go, no, that's not good. Your expectations of the value that he's trying to create with his advertisement are immediately squashed because you know where he was once upon a time. Hey, that could that could be two years ago. We all know inflation and cost of doing business goes up, but it doesn't matter, right? There's that saying of we like the sausage, but we don't want to see how it's made, <laughs> right? We don't want to know where it was. Build the value. You've got to have a start with a clean slate when you're trying to frame the value of your product. So I can't even remember the name. That's how unimpressed I was, but you're the homer, the blunder of the week.
0: Yeah, high cheese factor on that one. The only thing it really works is now if he would have had 109 slashed out. There you go. That's completely different. But when he started doing it the other way, there's cheese to it. But then it didn't look good. It wasn't very professional. I mean, you want nice-looking decals, Especially nowadays, decals and posters are so cheap. With all these poster stores now, you could easily fix that.
1: Everything about it was lame. It was just lame on so many levels. It Just a complete, complete credibility catastrophe. And you can't. I'm going to write a book called "Credibility Catastrophe."
0: Let's start with this guy. We should have like business cards printed says, "You are the Homer of the week," and just put it on this windshield and hand these to people <laughs> after they've done that. And they're looking going, "What?" And they'll just have the the podcast address or yeah. University of Persuasion that they can go to. Says, "You are a Homer." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it could be a, just a business card that says, "You blew it." Tune in to MaximizeYourInfluence.com <laughs> so- for details.
0: You will be featured this next week. You are a homer.
1: <laughs> you imagine somebody getting that card and going to the web address.
0: <laughs> hey, it'll increase our emails. Well, it'll be hate emails, but hey, we'll get more emails. Yeah,
1: I mean, we're working as hard as we can for hate emails, and uh, we've got to take it up a notch.
0: That's right. That would do it.
1: And spe- speaking of, if you want to send us hate emails, if you think the food that we talk about is gross, the techniques we talk about are terrible or the travel, or the talking about the boating and the sports and everything. If you just think we're terrible, you're welcome to tell us. Now, on the flip side, if you like the show, if you have ideas or Homer nominations or Ninja nominations, send them to MaximizeYourInfluence at com. We'll take whichever one. Because we always appreciate your positive comments, and we're always entertained by your negative ones.
0: <laughs> that we are. Yeah.
1: I mean, how's that for self-esteem, huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Boost our self-esteem. The more people you can defend, the more people we can fatten up with our food tips. Hey, we can handle that.
1: We can handle it. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Anything you want to add before we hang it up for the day?
0: Nope. Just go out there and persuade with power.
1: Sounds good, everybody. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Have a good one.
0: Take care.